If you have a Bible or a way to see the Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Last week, we began our journey uh, into the life of King David. And uh, last week, we determined from the New Testament writer uh, that he was a man after God's own heart. I've often looked at that phrase about King David, and I've often wondered, you know, what did God see in him? Well, what was so great about David? I mean, we obviously know his stories. I mean, he, he obviously had his own troubles. We, we know that he was uh, pretty uh, courageous when it came to knowing and fighting Goliath. And today, that's what we're going to be looking at is his courage as it relates to what God did through him. So look at the introduction this morning. When we face fear, we truly find out who and whose we are. The courage to overcome fear is, sound, is found in faith, something outside of ourselves, and of course, in the Christian faith, namely, God. Now, I want you to look at the definition of courage, and that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. I mean, if you were to say, okay, what does that have to do with Mother's Day? Well, I think many of you ladies would know that it takes courage to be a mother in this day and age. The times you have to face things, the times you've got to come to the defense of a child at times, uh, and then just trying to deal with the child itself uh, can be courageous at times. And so this morning, I want to look at courage in such a way that as it does relate to David and his story with Goliath. But look at this definition, a definition of courage, the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain without fear. It's those things that come into our lives that may knock us down, that may uh, force us to rise up in such a way that it exposes and shows and demonstrates the courage that we possibly could have, especially when it comes through God. Now, for David, his courage is seen in his ability to stand up against the giant that we know of as Goliath. Now, what's interesting about this story is most of us have known this story all our lives. And, and many of us could really, when it comes to it, we kind of have this image in our minds when it comes to it. How many of you have seen an image like this as it relates to David and Goliath? I mean, this is what we think of. And it's amazing when we get there how, how we, we size up the story. For our grandkids, it's one of their favorite stories. Uh, the times, you know, when we say, okay, what, what story do you want to hear? David and Goliath. I mean, all good kids like this story. Now think about what is going down here when it comes to David and Goliath. You go and you see that David is out keeping his sheep one day, and, and all of a sudden Jesse, his father, calls him in from the field and says, basically, I want you to go to the battlefront, and I want you to, to basically take these things to your three older brothers. I want you to see how they're doing on the battlefront, and I want you to come back and tell me what's going on. And so David gets on his journey, begins his journey. We believe he's probably 10 miles from the battlefront. And so he makes his way to the battlefront, and he finds his brothers, and he begins to talk with them about what's actually happening. Because what they, he has found is there's two armies facing off with one another. On one hill, you had the Philistines. On the other, you had the people of God, the Israelites. And in the middle, you'll find a, plant, uh, excuse me, a valley there in which there's a giant that walks into that valley basically every morning and every evening and up to this point for 40 days looking for a challenger within the people of God. And Goliath every day, twice a day, would stand there and call for a challenger. 
What's interesting about what the conditions of this battle is, it's more of an Eastern way of fighting a battle, where you would literally have one opponent fight another opponent, and as the outcome of that opponent takes place, the outcome would mean that one would serve the other. And so Goliath is standing there. Can you imagine the scene? Many people estimate that his size was approximately nine foot nine inches tall. Boy, the NBA would definitely gobble him up. I'm sure Michael Jordan wouldn't stand any problem against him. LeBron would probably have a—anyway, it's, 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 I'm a Michael Jordan fan. So anyway, but Jordan would be okay with Goliath, okay? But let's just imagine, I mean, his scene, he's sitting there, he's standing there every day, he's intimidating them. What's interesting, I did a little research, and I found out just the battle gear that he had on him weighed approximately 180 pounds. Can you imagine that? The battle gear, he's, we he's wearing many of us men. <laughs> I mean, literally, he's wearing us, and he's going to battle. The spear he had in his hand, they estimate that the end of that spear weighed approximately 20 pounds. Can you imagine a, a bowling ball, a heavy bowling ball being on the end of your spear, and you're able to throw it? I mean, what an intimidating figure is here. And so David makes his way to the battlefront. He's standing there talking to his brothers, and all of a sudden he hears the, the giant on the 40, 41st day yelling out for a, one to come out to fight him. And he, he hears the giant basically just blaspheme God and all this. And, and David turns around and says, who is that? Of course, all, the, the army of Israel knew who it was. And so the brothers are standing there talking to him, and he's really trying to get to the bottom of this. And, and basically, if you read between the lines of the story, he's like, why haven't y'all shut him up yet? That's basically what you find there. He's blaspheming our God. He's defiling our God with his words. And he looks around, and he's like, are y'all going to do something about this? This is the scene that we find here. Now, this, this, the way David approaches this should not surprise us. If we read many of the Psalms that he writes, especially Psalms 27, look at what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Now, we should not probably be surprised of the man who walks up, who was literally a boy, we believe he was a teenager at the time, who walks up, a man who writes this is not going to be afraid of a giant especially one that's defiling God, because he knew, God, he, deep down, he probably knew God wasn't going to take this. So really, what do we find in this story? Here it is. What kind of person faces giants courageously? First of all, we find a common person. A little bit further, we would say an ordinary person. An ordinary person. Now think about David. He is so ordinary. As I said, he was probably a teenager when all this broke out. He's the youngest of eight brothers. And he's there, and, and he's just an ordinary kid. Matter of fact, last week we found that his family didn't see anything special about him. Matter of fact, they didn't see him as king material. Do you remember the story last week? They didn't see that he was anything special. 
He goes to his brothers on the battle lines, and basically they kept saying, David, don't cause a scene. Just shut up. Just be quiet. And all of a sudden, we've got all these things going on. David, his family didn't see it in him. No one saw. He didn't stand out in the crowd. You know what I've found as I read God's Word? And as I look around my own life and I see the people that God uses, He uses ordinary people. How many of you have noticed that? He uses very ordinary people. And we find that in the scriptures. The ordinary person, here's what I found about ordinary people. They tend to look outside of themselves for what they need to survive. David, the ordinary, took, looked at his omnipotent God. He didn't look from within. He looked at God. He looked at what God was capable of doing. Now, it's interesting. When we read the story of David and Goliath, I think many of us automatically say we want to identify with David, don't we? Don't we want to identify with the hero? We, we always do, don't we? But, but I think this would probably challenge you when I say this. We may want to identify with, with David, but many of us really identify more with Goliath. I want you to think about us, especially here in the Western culture, especially here where we have so much. I want you to think about, I want you to think about Goliath. He, he thought, he had, he, thought he's, he had within himself everything he needed to survive. He thought he was invincible. He didn't think anything could touch him. He, he, he had his physical strength, his intimidating presence, his armor. He was self-sufficient. He didn't need anything. Now, I want you to think about our lives many times. Doesn't that description sound more like us? We're self-sufficient. We think we can handle anything that comes up against us. And then occasionally we, we get those things and they do knock us, don't they? We've been there. But I want you to think about it. Many Americans, many people we're around, they identify more with Goliath than they do with David. What kind of person faces giants courageously? Second of all, an obedient person. To live a life of obedience, I just want you to know it takes courage. You say, well, why would it take courage? Well, I don't know about you, but many times I have to stand up against my flesh. How many of you are there? Our flesh wants to convince us of many things. And a lot of times the biggest thing we need when it comes to courage is to face ourselves, our own desires, what our flesh cries out for. And then living in this world, we live in a world that's not necessarily moving towards obedience as we find in, in, in God, is moving in the opposite direction. So when people observe our lives, we're literally moving in a different direction many times. And many people are intimidated by it. And many people don't appreciate it. Now, I want you to think about this. He goes, David, goes to his brothers on the battlefield. That is a simple assignment that his father gave him. He goes. He's an ordinary guy. His father thinks there'll be no harm in him going and uh, bringing his brothers some cheese sandwiches and checking on them. And then it, it, as far as his plan goes, he was going to turn right around and go back home and be obedient to his father. So he was not only ordinary, he was very obedient. You see, the people God uses are willing to do the most mundane tasks for the glory of God. They, they don't look down at the task the Lord assigns them. The, the, the least of them may reap the greatest glory for God. And that's what I find in a lot of people that God uses. 
Last week when I was talking about the fact that, you know, I was, I, I was preparing for ministry and the pastor before me, I worked, had the privilege to work with him for about nine years. And, and there were some things he would do and say that I didn't quite understand at the time. I'll be honest with you, I was very frustrated with some of the things he said, but there was a, really a lot of wisdom in it too. The times he would say, we're getting ready to go do some pastoring and we come over here and I would mop the floor. We are going to go do some pastoring, and you are going to mop the floor. And I didn't understand all that. I finally, I saw the movie The Karate Kid, and I thought, well, that's maybe, maybe that's what you got to do to get to greatness. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but, but the point is, it's this whole idea that, that you got to be faithful in the small things for God to unload those big things in your life. And, and we're all called to that in our own way. So the ordinary, obedient life can become impactful and inspiring when placed in the hands of God. Next, what kind of person faces giants courageously? A consecrated person. A consecrated person or a consecrated life is literally a life that's set apart for a specific reason or a specific purpose. I'm one of those who believes that every one of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that has been placed upon us. Some people will say, oh, that's for those who are in full-time ministry. Oh, my goodness, that's for the missionary. No, I'm convinced he's called every one of us to something. He has set us apart for something. Mom, he has set you apart to be mom. Fathers, same thing. Minister, same thing. School teacher, same thing. There's something that he's after that he wants to accomplish through us. And when we begin to see our lives and the fact that God wants to use us in an impactful and inspiring way, that is the kind of life he calls us to. So growing in such a way to be a part of something bigger than we could ever imagine. But what is a consecrated person? Look on your outline. Those who are related to him. In chapter 17, look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you how? In the name of the Lord of hosts, the guard of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. I've come to you. Do you see the relational part here? David finds himself in relation to the God of the armies of heaven. And not only that, it doesn't take us long as we flip through the Psalms to read his stories and to read his, the heart behind what he's done. In Psalms 23, we definitely see a, a great journey of how God brought him through his life. God uses his own to do great things in life. Next, we see a consecrated person, those who are relying on him. Now, David voiced his faith and confidence in the Lord. It was not in himself, nor his weapons, nor his own strength. David didn't go out there and say, I can match anything Goliath throws at me in and of himself. That was not even on the radar. What you find there is that Goliath is standing there in his all-sufficiency, in his intimidating presence, in his own way, and he is the one who's going to settle the matter himself while David is looking beyond himself. How do we know this? Look at verse 37 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivers me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of, the Philistine, of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, now Saul is the king of Israel. He's the one that should have been the one fighting Goliath. 
Okay? He says to David, go and the Lord be with you. And David had, excuse me, Saul had all the right words to say, but he wasn't the guy who, he was the guy who should have been there. He wasn't going to show up. This young teenager had to show up. Now, what was David saying? Hey, I have seen God do great victories in my life. You should have seen what he did through me with that lion. You should have seen him with, 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 when it came to the bear that came in. I have victories in my life, and there's already some things back there that I've trusted him for. Why shouldn't he come through in this occasion? Why shouldn't he? And that's how he thought about it. And then verse 46, <laughs> David says to Goliath, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I will strike you and take your head from you. Wow. Some of you are sitting here, now that's some good junk talk right there. No, junk, junk talk, listen, he can say it because it's getting ready to happen. And he's basically saying, I'm getting ready to remove your head. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I'm here. Here's what he said. I'm here to put my God on display. Think about that. I'm here to put my God on display. I want you to think about your own life. Has there been times in your life where you literally have put God on display through something that he's called you to do, through that set-apart life that he's called you for? You have put him on display. And that's what David was saying. Now, why would we be shocked with David's actions? Listen to what he writes in Psalms 18. I will love you, O Lord, with my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised so I shall be saved from my enemies. This is not going to be a problem is what he's saying. So the battles that are won in our lives will be won by way of God. If, if, if we are ever used in this life or overcome anything in our lives, it will be because we are leaning upon God and his resources for our strength and his provision. I want you to think about the victories you've had in your own life. I want you to think about the things you've had to overcome. The fears, the battles, the, 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 all those things that are there in front of you, the circumstances of our life, uh, they, they come by the power of what God wants to bring to our lives. What have you been attempting to battle in your life that you never seem to have victory over? What's that one thing? What's that one fear? Really, a better question is this. What is your Goliath? What's that thing in your life that is intimidating. Maybe it's, as I said before, a fear. Maybe it's some addiction that has a stronghold in your life. And, and it's got you in bondage. And, and you're there and you've tried everything on your own. You've done the step-by-step -step programs. Everyone's thrown at you. But you've never tackled it head on like David is going after Goliath. Next, what kind of person faces giants courageously? A committed person. A committed person in spite of the obstacles. I want you to think about this. 
What was the obstacle? Something pretty big, a nine-foot-nine giant. Would you say that was a pretty big obstacle? I mean, standing right there. The one who could easily take his life, could easily take his life. So we have the description of, of Goliath, the demands of Goliath, along with the dismay and fear of the people of God. Think about it. David is going out there with God, and that's the only thing that's there. Goliath's on the other side. The Philistines have got to be feeling pretty good about the situation, while the people of God are probably sitting there saying, guys, get ready to run. You know that had to be going through their minds. You know it had to be. Matter of fact, I got a feeling there were some cowards there that day. I got a feeling they were already peeling off, running for the hills. Because as soon as David goes down, they become the servants of the Philistines. There were those already making their way away. And all of a sudden, David steps forth. Now, I want you to think about this. Keep in mind, here's what we need to keep in mind. And this is, this is good for all of us in anything that we're dealing with. The obstacle was not Goliath. It was fear. You say, well, he represented the fear. It was still fear. When there is faith, fear cannot stand. Did you know that's what the Bible tells us? When there is faith, fear cannot stand. And so all of a sudden, we're, we're in this thing. And, it, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't Goliath in and of himself. He may have represented their fear, but it was really the fear that was out there. In life, to overcome obstacles, fear must be replaced by faith. Look at verse 32. Then David said to Saul, Saul's the one that should have been out there himself. This is King Saul. Let no man's heart fall or fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Do you know what David is saying? Teenage boy, I got this. With God, I got this. This is not going to be a problem. You should have seen the lion that came after me one time. You should have seen that bear. He can't move as fast as that lion did. That bear was just as big as he was. I can take it with God. David was determined to honor the Lord despite the size and the power of Goliath. Let me just say this. I, well, maybe let me ask you a question. Does, has God ever worked through your fear? We don't give him a lot to work with when we give him fear. But did you know that God can take our fear and make faith out of it? Did you know that? Somewhere along the line, David... David had to muster up the courage to kill a lion. How many of you would stand in a lion's path without a shotgun? How many of you would do that with a bear? No, there was already victories that were back there. There were already problems that David had to deal with in his past that only fed his faith instead of his fear for the future things that would come into his life. This was a man who was not only set apart to do what God called him to do, he was equipped because God gave him these experiences that he was now able to build upon in his life. Imagine David, the armies on both sides, Goliath is there, and David begins to make his way 
to face the giant alone. You know the scene, the, bat, the armies are on the hills. They meet in the valley, one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but how many of you be sitting there thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Oh my goodness, he's bigger up close. I mean, think about what would run through our minds and, and all the things that would run through our minds. But again, this is not just somebody who would probably think that way because he's already had other victories where God came through. He already had put himself out there to be obedient to what God called him to. He, he, he was already faithful and obedient in a small task. Now he was able to show God off in front of the whole armies that sat there that day. What a powerful scene. But how did it come about? I think James chapter 1 gives us some kind of clue about this. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Would you say David was faced with a trial that day? Pretty big one, right? Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. There's something, I want you to think about this. The Bible is calling this a perfect work. Really, the translation better should be a, a mature work. There's a maturing process that has gone into David. David is a mere teenager. King Saul, we estimate, may be in his 40s or, or late 30s, and he is there, and he is doing nothing. And David is already, this whole thing is worked out in David's life where David has seen what God is capable of doing through him and all these things. So here it is, it's having a mature work. And here's why, that you may be perfect, that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. In what? In your faith. In your faith. I'm convinced that David... Once he left Saul, once he left his brothers, once he started facing that giant, I don't think he was one that was sitting there thinking, what have I got myself into? There's too much proof to say otherwise. He just went for it. I got this. With God, I can do all things. <laughs> With God, I'm capable of doing all things. Now, here's what this story should show us. No matter how big the giant is in our life, we serve a God who's perfectly capable in helping us to conquer that giant. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. Next, a committed person in spite of the opposition. I want you to think about where the opposition came from for David. You, you would say, obviously, Goliath, right? <laughs> That's a pretty big opposition. But guess where else it came from? King Saul. Saul's basically saying, son, you do realize that this man's been fighting in wars as long as you've been alive. He's going to take you out. King Saul said that. But, but how many of you are surprised sometimes when God does something in your life? How many of you are surprised where the opposition comes from sometimes? It came from his very brothers, his brothers, his family. David, just go on back home. Stop this nonsense. You're just trying to show off, just like you always do. Just, he wasn't just showing off. He was putting God on display. And all of a sudden, there was all this opposition. It just seemed to come out of nowhere, and it just mounted upon him. Sometimes it's shocking to see where opposition comes from. Next, a committed person, in spite of the opportunities... Remember the scene. David has just walked up on his brothers 
when the giant began to speak. Do you remember the scene? Let's go back a little ways. And you remember the scene where David is first sees the giant or first hears the giant? He's out there talking to his brothers, and he turns, and there he is. So look at verse 23. Then as he talked with them, his brothers, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, of, of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. Same words he said for the last 40 days. Okay? Imagine that. You hear the same thing over and over. Same junk talk, same thing. They hear, they've heard it for 40 days. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. They, they, they even moved back further as he made his way towards them with his threats and his intimidating uh, presence. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defile Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will, be, will, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Wow, taxes was a big theme even back then, wasn't it? For no taxes, no more taxes? I might sign up for that. How about you? I mean, think about that. Then David spoke to the men. Now, this is interesting. Listen to David's response based on all these good things. David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? He was more concerned about how God's people looked. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David was saying, so what he's offering rewards? So what? That means nothing. Look at how he's defiling our God. Something needs to be done about this. A teenager. A teenager. It wasn't about the rewards. I want to give you this. This is on your outline. Actually, the Lord gave me this before, after the outline was created really last night. I want to give you four things that we can take from this, okay? You may want to write quick because I got to move quickly. Four things we can learn from David when facing our own giants. Here's what happened. He focused on the problem solver and not the problem. He focused on the problem solver and not the problem. What happens to us when the problem comes? When the fear shows up? When the temptation comes, when the addiction, the bondage of addiction raises its head once again, we don't focus on the problem because that brings the problem in full view. We, we focus on the problem solver and what he's capable of doing. Secondly, this is good. He saw Goliath the way God saw Goliath. Think about that. He saw Goliath the way God saw Goliath. Is God intimidated by Goliath? Absolutely not. David saw Goliath from God's perspective, not the way the people did that day. Now, how do you get that perspective? You spend time with God in prayer. You begin to see things the way God sees them. And that's the problem with many of us today. I think many of us today, including myself, I had to battle this myself. When I look at the, the, the world and I look at our society and I begin to see all these different things that are playing out and coming out, and I'm sitting here like, what is going on here? And my own fear and frustration begins to creep out. Many times it's not because I've gone to prayer about it. 
Many times it's not because I've spent enough time in prayer. A lot of times it's because I've been listening to too much news. And I got to realize, I need the mind of Christ in the matter. I need to see the Goliaths in my life the way God sees them, not the way the rest of the world sees them, not the way my fear sees them. I need to see it the way God sees it. And he's not, he's not worried about Goliath. Next, he refused to listen to the naysayers. Isn't it amazing how many people just tend to want to just keep us down to where they are? Have you ever noticed that? You begin to get somewhere, you begin to think, God begins to grow in your life, uh, the awareness of who God is, and all of a sudden, man, you just feel like you could just kind of take off, and all of a sudden, you just sense there's people just pulling you back down to where they are. Lastly, this is important, his, aim, his end game was to bring glory to God. That's all that mattered. Not the prizes, not the rewards. The only thing that mattered to him was that God would be seen through him in such a way it would bring glory to God, especially in front of a nation that attempted to defile that God. Wow. What kind of person faces giants courageously? A courageous person willing to accept the ridicule. Again, isn't it amazing sometimes where it comes from? It's amazing sometimes. What would cause it? Jealousies, pettiness. I mean, it's all there. Where did he get it from? From his brother, from Saul? To David, the rewards that came for obedience to the Lord outweighed any personal humiliation he might suffer because of others. He just stepped out. Next, being courageous is willing to accept the risk. Accept the risk. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you uh, stepped outside your comfort zone? How many of you would say right now, I, I am walking courageously in my life? When's the last time you just put yourself out there? How, how do you, well, you overcome your fear. You just put yourself out there. In the face of fear, you just put yourself out there. That's what David did. Right in the face... Fear was facing him square in the face, you know? But again, what did he have going for him? His past victories that he'd already had in his life. The fact he saw Goliath the way God saw Goliath, not the way everyone else that day saw him. It's a pretty powerful moment for him. But they're willing to take risk. David was willing to take a risk. I want you to think about it. Saul. The very man who should have been under a fighting Goliath himself basically finds out David's interest in teenage boy, slim, little. Saul begins to dress him up in his armor. Do you remember the story? David, wear this, and this may help, and this may help. And, and by the way, may God be with you. See ya. <laughs> Here's what's interesting. Every step towards Goliath, listen, this is, this is something for somebody in here this morning. Listen, every step that he made towards Goliath, another piece of Saul's armor would be pulled off and thrown to the ground. You see, the people who were there who were bound up in fear, who, who were satisfied to live that way, they thought they knew what could help someone to overcome it, but they didn't have anything to offer. 
And so every step he made towards Goliath, another piece of Saul's armor fell to the ground because he knew he would be standing not in the fear of the people and what they could provide, but only what God could provide in that moment. You see, we've tried everything else this world has to offer to overcome our Goliaths. But man, it's God. It's got to be God. It's in his strength. It's in that fact he set us apart. It's in the fact that God wants to be displayed through our lives. And many times the only way we can do it is in the face of opposition. It's in the face of our fears. I want to ask you a question. How many, people know, how many of you know people in your life who just totally inspire you? They've overcome so much. They've gone through things you could never imagine yourself going through, and they still come out on the other side praising God and turning the attention, not the attention of their issues, not turning our attention to their issues, but turning the attention to the God that they love and serve. Wow, what a moment here. Being courageous is willing to accept the results. You know, you know what's getting ready to happen to David? How many of you uh, would say you're an introvert? There's some of you in here. That lady over there is my wife, the one that was just here on stage. That was a big step for her. I had to kick her all the way up here and kick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she did a great job this morning. But, but, but I want to ask you a question. David is moving from a place of obscurity. He's out in the, think about what his life was. Out on the hills with the sheep. He wasn't, there wasn't nobody watching him. God was, however. He's about to be thrust into the attention of a whole nation. You talking about transition? That is a transition. His life will never be the same again. Just the rewards he's going to receive will, will, will shed light, will, will change his life. And then all of a sudden he'll be thrown into that situation. And guess what? It won't be easy, will it? He'll have to navigate difficult night, times. There's times where he, we hear him in the Psalms where he cries out to God not knowing what to do next. There's times where we see him crying out to God because he can't sleep, because he's, he's going through so many different things that are in his mind. But his life is getting ready to change. And guess what? If it didn't, we wouldn't be reading about him today, would we? Because he had an impactful life. He had a life that was influential. Look at the application. The only way we can truly defeat the giants in our life is seeing them from God's perspective. Humanly speaking, the giant, you fill in what it is. What is the giant in your life? The giant may be more than we can handle, but from God's perspective, the giant is just a small, insignificant obstacle keeping us from experiencing his best. Bottom line. Through the life of David, we find that God likes to show off. <laughs> he does. How does he do it? Through a surrendered life that fully trusts him. Fully trusts him. And then lastly, David's life inspired others. I want you to look at verse 52 of, of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at verse 52. After Goliath had failed, he'd been defeated. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron 
And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the side of Shamron, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Here's what literally happened. The giant falls, and because of the courageous act of David, a whole army that was once scared out of their mind is now pursuing and chased them all the way back to their own places in which they lived. David inspired a whole army that day. He inspired a whole army that day. God was clearly seen in what David was all about. So here's the question. What have you done or overcome in your life that has inspired others? Is your life an inspiration? Mom, since it's your day, let's delve into this a little bit. Are you an inspiration? When your kids look at you, obviously you're not perfect. But do they see faith on display? Do they, see, do they see your God clearly in your life? Do they see that? Is it obvious you're a person of faith? That when they get to their wit's end in life and they, there's an obstacle before them that they may not understand at all, but listen, there was someone in their life that mirrored what needed to be done in that situation. And they were able to pull from that. Boy, that's a big taking, undertaking, isn't it? I think God's calling us all to be that. That's the reason we all need one another. I need, listen, I need you to inspire me. I want so bad to inspire you, but I also need you to inspire me, and we need to learn to inspire one another. This is a tough life we live in. The obstacles are getting bigger. The fear is more realized, and there's a lot going on. We need to learn to inspire one another. Would you stand to your feet, please, as we pray? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for someone like David. Uh, Father, we know that it was his courage that, that basically allowed you to see him for what he was. And Father, we thank you that you did show off through this young man's life. And Father, I think as we look around this room, I think there are definitely people in our life that has inspired us. There's some people in this room right now that's inspired me. I look out in this room and I see those who I would call prayer warriors. And, and through their prayer life, they've inspired me to, to, to really look at my own prayer life. There are those in this room who are soul winners, who challenge me all the time to, to, to live that out, to, to be that testimony before men. Father, I thank you for those who've inspired me over the years. To, to, to overcome the obstacles that are so apparent in my life at times. I thank you for the opportunities you've given me, those opportunities that, that stretched me, that brought me out of my comfort zone, and at times even terrified me, that on the other side of it, I saw where you just kind of came through. Father, I thank you for what you desire to do, not only in my, in my life, but in the lives of those sitting here today. Thank you for those people of inspiration. Thank you for moms who are so inspirational. Father, I pray that we would, in our lives, see a David, just go for it. With you, go for it. Father, we thank you for that. Let us be those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us this morning?